My name's Taylor Reevely, and it's good to be with you this morning. Normally I have a guitar around my neck, but this morning I have a pulpit in front of me, and I'm glad to be with you to get to teach about the gospel this morning. I think that it's, it's one thing to be preaching an imprecatory psalm over the summer. It's another thing to be saying, what I have to tell you this morning is the best news you could ever hear. And so I have a question for you. Have you ever been parched? Like your tongue becomes sandpaper parched. Like the the kind of parched where you no longer identify as male or female or black or white, but as thirsty. (laughs) And then you walk through the desert in the midst of this drought, your tongue like sandpaper, and you come across a house a little house in the desert, and the host welcomes you and gives you a glass of cold water. And not a glass, but two glasses and three glasses until it's just filling you up. You're like the sponge that you could wring out and drip everywhere. And that water has changed your identity from thirsty person to quenched person. No longer do you identify with the old self, the old self who was withering away in the desert. Now you identify with yourself as, you identify yourself as this person full of life, full of fluid. And you leave this person's house feeling like you can now go on your merry way. You've figured out life and you step outside the door and about an hour later you find yourself thirsty again. And what you find that's frustrating but brilliant about this glass of water is that the thing that saves you, the thing that changes your identity, that water is essential for your everyday life. The thing that makes you alive is the same thing that keeps you alive. Your dependence on water is not fully met and satisfied and you're done with water once you've had a drink. You'll need it again tomorrow and the next day, and the next day. In the same way, the gospel which makes you alive, the gospel which transforms your identity from being a dead person to an alive person is essential to keep you alive. You need it as much today and tomorrow as you did the day you first heard it and believed it. Because the thing that makes you alive keeps you alive. This morning, we'll ask three questions about the gospel because we're talking about our identity as a church. And one of the things that we say is that we need the gospel. We need it today as a church. And so I want to ask three questions about this identity, three questions about this idea that we need the gospel. And the first one is really a foundational question. What is the gospel? We ought to start there. The next question is, why do I need the gospel? Why do we need the gospel? And the final question, we'll hopefully apply that and we'll we'll begin to connect pieces and dots together as a church as we consider how do we help each other as a church get this gospel which we need. So the first question, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? 
And perhaps this is the part of the sermon where I'm supposed to have a one-sentence, simple explanation of what the gospel is. And I was trying to figure out what that sentence would be. And the sentence kept getting longer and longer and longer and longer. Because I I started to think about the gospel not merely as a sentence or as a a statement of news, but as a, a reality of news. Um, I started to think about the gospel not as a, a shaving, a, a two-dimensional sliver off the face of a diamond, but as the diamond itself with a world of facets and reflections and shapes and angles. So is there a complex answer to the question, what is the gospel? Yes, there is. And you must know some part of this complex answer. If you were to, to start with the, that first side, the first side of this diamond, and you were to open to 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul describes this news that he has received, the best news. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And this is what he describes. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So on this first side of the diamond, you might find Christ died and was buried and rose again according to the Scriptures. But if you rotate just a tiny bit and you begin to see this according to the Scriptures piece come to light, and you start to ask yourself, well, what does that mean? How is that according to the Scriptures piece a part of gospel as well? And you begin to rehearse the Bible beginning at its beginning, and at its end you might consider this narrative that is good news. The narrative in which the cross and the grave and the resurrection fit. Namely, that God has made humanity intending them to be his, his co-rulers on earth, His partners, intending to live with them in perfect intimacy, satisfying every longing of their heart, and yet in the second page of the story of the Bible, humanity rebels and says, we don't want to delight in God, we want to be God. And on the third page in Scripture, the story changes. And humanity is exiled from the presence of God, and the rest of the Old Testament is, is spent with God pursuing people, saying, come back, come back. And people run away further and further. At the turn of the Testaments, in the middle of, of the Bible, Jesus enters the scene. God becomes a man in His pursuit of people to be the perfect human, the one who can actually stand in the gap and reconcile God with man again. Jesus accomplishes this by His death, burial, and resurrection. So that now anyone who has faith in Him and believes that news about Jesus, that you can be made right with God, is made right with God, is forgiven. And one day the story ends as it began, where humanity is reconciled with God in a garden city, not unlike the one at the beginning of the book. And so you might hear that phrase that Paul uses according to the Scriptures and think about this grand plan of the Gospel that God has been working throughout the whole of history. 
But you turn that diamond back and you see that the gospel is, is yes, a plan that all of Scripture testifies to, but it's also an event. The good news is that Jesus has come for you. It is that he has died and buried and resurrected. You might also turn that, though, and what does this death and resurrection do? How is that good news? And you might consider that the gospel is not just a plan, nor is it just an event. It's also an achievement where the death of Jesus is his activity. He achieves the perfect sacrifice on behalf of humanity. The once and for all payment that satisfies God's wrath towards rebellious people and gives them life. You might say, what does his resurrection achieve? His resurrection accomplishes victory over sin, Satan, death, and gives life to all who believe, who participate in resurrected life. So yes, the gospel is a plan revealed throughout Scripture. Yes, it is an event. It is also an achievement. The gospel, however, has another facet. You continue to turn this in your hand and see every angle. The gospel is an offer. It is an offer to all who would believe. This offer is free in that it comes without cost. So when, when Jesus has extended this offer of forgiveness and of life, the good news is that it is free. The good news is that it is not restricted to a race or a class of people, but that all who believe might find life in Jesus. This offer also doesn't come by works, it comes by faith, as Paul tells us in Ephesians. Making it again good news that you don't need to perform in order to find this gospel forgiveness and this gospel life. Faith in what Jesus has done is is the means by which you accept and receive this offer. But the gospel is not merely an offer. Because that offer, when you believe, it becomes applied. The gospel is application to you. All of a sudden, this this achievement that forgiveness is possible and the offer that you might have it are met when you have faith in Jesus and you find you are forgiven. That is good news. That is gospel. That you might be forgiven. That you might be justified when you believe. That you might be united and identified with the one true King, Jesus, when you believe. That's good news too. So you're holding in your hand this, this diamond with a million different sides and angles. All of them are they're all about Jesus. They're all about this idea that you can be made right with God. What is the purpose of this gospel? What is the goal of the gospel? I found this question to be helpful in sifting through that, the complexity of the gospel to what is the goal of the gospel? Is the goal that you would be forgiven? Well, so what? You're forgiven. Is the goal that you would be justified, made right before God, your sin forgiven, your, His righteousness given to you? So what? What, is, what would be the purpose in that? 
What is the goal of the gospel? If you're in the book of Colossians, which I would, I would encourage you to turn to the book of Colossians, as that's where we'll be spending most of our time today. I want to remind you of this gospel and of the goal of this gospel. In Colossians chapter 1, I'll begin reading in verse 15. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. As we rehearse the gospel, a word pops out several times that you might be reconciled to God. That you might not just be positionally reconciled in which you say, He is my King, but that you might be <clears throat> actually reconciled. Actually in God's presence. First <clears throat> Peter 3, Paul, Peter writes, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. That's gospel, right? That he might bring us to God. So the goal of all of this, the goal of the achievement, the goal of the forgiveness, the goal of the activity, the goal of the event, the goal of the offer is that you would be reconciled to God. That you would, would, yes, say, Jesus is my king, I follow him. But that one day you would meet that king and live again as you were intended and created to live, experiencing the full satisfaction of delight in God. And I would suggest that is what the gospel is for. To the praise of God. And so this gospel, <clears throat> this gospel, the goal of this gospel, has really profound implications for our identity as a church. In fact, if you, if you have or can reference one of these uh, little booklets that talk about our identity as a church, you would find on the first page that we exist to engage people who are disconnected from God so they delight in Him through Jesus. People disconnected from God, so they delight in Him through Jesus. We exist to, to live the gospel, to speak the gospel, that people might experience this kind of, the, the reality of the goal of the gospel. That you can be reconciled, connected back to God, delighting in Him perfectly 
finding full satisfaction as you delight in Him through Jesus. That's how this gospel, that's how this mission statement is gospel-centered. But one of our core identities, if you were to turn a few pages later, you would see a page that says, we need the gospel. And so, yes, we exist to engage those who have not yet heard, to engage those who have not yet received this offer of good news. And yet at the same time, we admit that that thing which made us alive keeps us alive. The thing which saved us, the gospel that reconciles us to God positionally is the one that keeps us walking with Him again today. So we could ask the question, why do we need the gospel? Why is it that the thing which saves us is the thing which keeps us? I think there are two reasons, fundamentally, that we need the gospel. The first one is that we need the gospel to become alive in the first place. We need the gospel to get saved in the first place. The second reason is we need the gospel to stay alive. And we need the gospel to stay saved. We need the gospel to live as though we actually are saved. In his letter to the Ephesians... Paul writes in chapter 2, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Bad news, that's not gospel. Good news, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So this gospel, we need this gospel. To make us alive in the first place. Otherwise, dead people. Otherwise, following other lesser gods. The power of the air. The gospel is the thing that makes you alive. And it makes you alive by grace through faith. When you believe, yes, not in specifically the historical person of Jesus, but in the gospel, that, that the story that God has been writing, that Jesus is the centerpiece by which He, in His death and resurrection, achieves the victory and the sacrifice necessary for you to experience life with God. And He offers that to you freely. When you believe that, by faith, it is given you by grace. But you've had a drink of water and you no longer identify now as a thirsty person. But you need that water every day. This gospel has now changed you. You're a new category of person. You're forgiven. You're you're on God's side. You're, You're a follower of King Jesus. 
And yet this gospel is the thing that will keep you following Jesus, the thing that will keep you saved, the thing that will keep you as God's friend. Perhaps this morning is the first time that you've even considered that you need the gospel in order to be reconciled with God, in order to find that, that full salvation that he offers freely to you. And I have to pause and say, if this is the first time you've considered your need for Jesus, would you, would you pause and look at him with faith, believing that all that he has offered you in the gospel can be yours? Would you believe him? Would you find life in him? Tomorrow, you'll need him again. What does that look like? This is kind of, this is the key piece we talk about as a church when we say we need the gospel. We say, yes, we have received the gospel. Now we need the gospel continually. In Ephesians 2, I I stopped in the middle. I stopped it by grace you have been saved. But it continues that we have been made alive together with Christ and God has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing It is the gift of God, not a result of your works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. A tendency that we might have tomorrow is to say, I have accepted the gospel, but now I need to fix my marriage. But now I need to stop sinning. Now I need to find a job. And that's not found in the gospel. That's found in my ten steps or in my three nuggets of wisdom that you're probably expecting me to share this morning. And what I want to encourage you, what I want to press into is that what you need tomorrow is gospel. What you need tomorrow is to remember that you are a Jesus follower, that you are forgiven. Now let's look at how that will work. The gospel is not just the ABCs of Christianity. It's the A to Z. If you were to, again, look at this book on the, on the page that says we need the gospel, on the left-hand side um, is, a, is a passage from which we derive this idea as a church. It's Colossians 2. So if you're still in Colossians 1, would you turn your page to Colossians 2, and we'll look at verses 6 and 7 together. This is Paul's ad- admonition to you that the gospel which you received is not enough. It is enough, but you need it again tomorrow. You don't get to leave it in the rearview mirror. You'll be thirsty again tomorrow. Look with me at verse 6 of chapter 2. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Just as you received Him, past, 
So walk in him. Present. Just as, okay, the same news, the same way you receive the news, the same quality of the news that informed your salvation when you received him, so walk in him. There are four participles, really, which are like, they function as, they look like they're verbs, but they're nouns, describing what it would mean to walk in him. I want to highlight those for you. They're in verse 7. That she would be rooted is one way. How do you walk in him? You walk in him rooted. The second is built up in him. The third is established in the faith. And the fourth is abounding in thanksgiving. That first one. So, so walk in him rooted. That funks, that's a past, that's a past participle is what we would call it. it it's, it happened in the past. Having already been rooted, walk in him. This, how many of you are gardeners or transplant trees? How many of you have ever transplanted a tree? How many of you do that regularly? Nice. Wow, that's wonderful. When you transplant a tree, the most vital part of the tree is not the leaf. Right? You care about the leaves, but it's not the most important part. Nor is it even the trunk. It's the roots. The root of the tree is the life source of the tree. If you get the roots in the ground well, if you keep them alive in the transport, get them in the ground well, that tree becomes rooted. They reestablish. The tree is alive. In the same way, in the same way, you, rooted in gospel, you don't, you don't get to leave. You don't get to wander away from your roots. Not very often when you stick a new tree in the ground and its roots become established does the tree trunk find itself ten feet over in your lawn. For to do so, would, would just the tree would have no life apart from the roots. And in the same way, the Apostle is saying, if you're going to walk in the Gospel, you need to stay rooted in that Gospel. And you are rooted. The transplant has happened. Don't move. Don't leave your roots. Don't wander from this Gospel. So that activity has already been happened when you accept the offer, when you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, you are firmly rooted. The next participle, though, the next idea is this present idea of being built up in Him. So if the analogy for the initial plant was a tree, now there's this process illustration that the, that the Apostle is using of this building, being built up in him. It's interesting, usually when Paul talks about something being built, he talks about a foundation and the building going upon it, like, like on it. And in this illustration, he says, being built up in Christ Jesus. Not as though Christ is the foundation alone, but Christ is the fabric by which the building is held together. And this is a process. 
an ongoing process of your life in which you are being built up in Him. You don't get to say, He's foundation. Now, the rest of the house is me. It's up to me to figure out the nails and how they're going to hold into the wood. The whole house of your life is Christ as you are being built up in Him. The third idea that that modifies this walking in Jesus is being established in the faith. And Paul's reminder here is just as you were taught. Just as you were taught. Think about something that you were maybe taught as a kid. Uh, Two plus two equals four. Or the laws of math. Or gravity. You were taught these as children. Now as an adult... Unfortunately, 2 plus 2 still equals 4. And if you were to try to manipulate the universe you lived in to where it did not, you would fail. What Paul's reminding is just as you were taught the, the basics of Christianity, the story of God, what it means to follow Him, walk in Him. Just as you were taught algebra, you can't rewrite algebra now that you're old. That is the truth that you walk in today. As you are established in Him. As you grow into maturity. As you look and hold this diamond, you are maybe taught a side or a two. But you continue to turn it and your picture becomes more full and more complete as you become established in the faith. The final the final modifier of walking in Him is that the person walking in Jesus, who not just received Him, but is walking in Him, is abounding in thankfulness. Abounding in thanksgiving. The Gospel is no longer just good news outside of me. It's no longer just uh, a fact or an event in history. It has worked its way into my heart and changed my life in such a way And as I walk in it, thanksgiving overflows that God would consider me, that God would pursue me, that God would die for me, to win me, to give me new life, to forgive me, that I might be reconciled to Him, that I might find in Him the the satisfaction of my soul that it is desperately craving. I now walk in Him abounding, in thanksgiving, every moment, every day, every breath is a, is a breath that has been changed by the gospel. Continue in Colossians chapter 2. I want to show you just a little bit of how this, how this works, how this Uh, this idea that the very thing that makes you alive, that you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, is the thing that keeps you alive. In the context of Colossians 2, this, this call to walk in Jesus comes right before a warning. In verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And it would seem that 
to the Apostle Paul what he sees that he has just done. He said, you received him, walk in him, and that walking in which you are rooted and established is the thing which will keep you from falling away and following some other idea or philosophy or teaching. That, that rooted in the gospel, that walking in the gospel is the thing that keeps you in the gospel. His warning continues, and if you were to just follow it down, you'll, you'll get to verse 16. Let no one pa- Therefore, in light of this gospel, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink. And you, you start to see the apostle apply gospel reality about your past to the present, the way you live. The gospel has united you with Jesus. You follow him. So when someone says... That doesn't look like a very good idea. And you say, this is me following Jesus. The gospel has freed you in the present from that, that judgment or oppression. When you, uh, when you sin and you feel as though you must work harder, do better, try, go to sleep, try again the next day. The gospel says, Rest. It has been paid for. You are forgiven. When you feel inadequate or as though there, you have something to add or contribute to the church or God's kingdom, religion will tell you, do, 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 do. And the gospel says it is done. Rest. When you're abused or undervalued or taken advantage of. The gospel says you are loved and you are a child. You are, you are known and you are adored. When you don't feel that God is close to you, when you feel distant from Him, the gospel whispers to you, child of God. It whispers to you, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. When sickness or, or death are at the doorstep, the gospel reminds comforts you that nothing will be able to remove or undermine your unshakable delight in God. So this gospel that you once received, you walk in. You walk in that today. You need it again today. And when you find it, when you rehearse it and remember it again today, you find all that you need as you follow Jesus again today. So as a church, we would say, we need the gospel, but what does that look like in a church? And I want, to, I want you to think about it perhaps this way. How do we get the gospel? The short answer is by any means possible. Any way I can direct your attention to what God has done for you in Jesus I will do that. And we must do that for each other. But specifically, as we consider our own personal uh, uh, roles in the church, our roles or functions as life groups within the church, and then our roles as a congregation within the church, that we have multiple congregations, consider these, um, these ways that the gospel might be fed and might be delighted in again today in our church. 
as a collection of individuals, how do you get the gospel that you need today, tomorrow? You get it as you rehearse it. You get it as you remember it. So uh, I mentioned that one of the facets of the gospel is it is a story. It is a plan, the plan of God from creation to reckon, uh, redemption. And as you rehearse that story again, you're brought into a narrative that is much bigger than yours again. And you will do that as you spend time in the Bible. That's why we value Bible reading. We don't read the Bible as a book of rules or a book of principles here. We read it as a story that I'm invited into of a king who rules graciously. And I follow him. Perhaps you need to even just create rhythms in your life where you pause to think about the gospel. Where you pause to remind yourself that you need it. Perhaps you set an alarm on your phone that wakes you up every morning and says, you need the gospel today. That's what the alarm says. And you can, you can help yourself remember that you need the gospel daily. What, is, what might this look like, though, if we were to help each other get the gospel in a life group context? Life groups are the place where we gather midweek to rehearse the gospel again. But it's also the context in which we have freedom to speak the gospel to each other. And you ought to be doing this individually, but life groups is a, is a natural context built for this. Um, I've heard this used as a, the word gospel used as a verb when someone speaks gospel to each other. Um, and you would use it like this. Uh, true story. Two weeks ago in our life group, we're sitting around having a discussion, and one of the guys in our life group just raised his hand and said, I have, some, I have a question for you. How many, of you. how many of you feel righteous? How many of you feel as you are reconciled with God? Nobody raised their hand. It's kind of a crummy day, I think, for everybody. And he says, you are righteous. In Jesus, you have been positionally forgiven, reconciled, made right with God. You are. Now live like it. I was like, oh my goodness, I just got gospeled. And I needed to get gospeled again today. And I'll need it again tomorrow. And in a life group context, which we value here, would you find that the space to gospel each other, to speak life into situations and circumstances that just smell like death? As a congregation, though, so uh, as a congregation, church-wide, what does this look like? How does this inform our identity as a church? And one of the things that it affects is, well, it affects everything. The, the music that we've already sung, you may, have, you may have heard it just dripping with good news, dripping with gospel, that in Christ alone who took on flesh, okay, gospel as event, no power of hell, no scheme of man can pluck me from his hand. The gospel applied to me because I believe. you. It's saturated with the gospel. As a church, do we, are, are we primarily concerned about the style or the genre or the volume? No, those things pale in comparison to, do they help us get the gospel? 
as we preach, you, you may hear, you, you might find it uh, a strange thing even here, to hear a sermon in the Psalms and then be like, this sermon is about Jesus and what he's done for you. As we preach here, it, it, this gospel centrality, this need for the gospel changes the way we preach. It changes the way we counsel. We don't counsel people in, in programs or gimmicks, but in gospel. It changes the way we choose children's ministry curriculum, not what's going to be the funnest or coolest, but what is going to get gospel into the lives of kids. Today we get to practice, um, as a congregation, a very tangible way we remind each other that we need the gospel. And we remind each other that we have the gospel. We get to celebrate communion together. Communion is, it is the activity that the church participates in, by which we remember and we proclaim when, when the Apostle Paul talks about communion, he says, remember the Lord's death until he comes. You're looking backwards as you're looking forwards, and that's the walk that you're in. And so as we celebrate communion together this morning, there's a table in the front and a table in the rear. I want you to pause, to reflect, remembering that God has made you alive. I want you to pause to rehearse the way in which God has made you alive. As you consider making your way to the tables this morning, I want you to pause to acknowledge your ongoing dependence on the gospel to keep you alive. And we get to celebrate and we get to anticipate really that realization of the goal of the gospel that we will be united. We will have communion with God in perfect intimacy, in perfect relationship, in perfect peace as we follow and walk in Him. A table in front, a table in the rear. Um, during the next three songs, would you make your way to one of those tables uh, as you kind of are preparing yourself and rehearsing and remembering these things? And then when you get to your seat, would you take the, the cup and the bread and would you just lead yourself in communion response as you celebrate that the, the body of Christ has been broken for you and that his blood has been shed for you, giving you new life? And we will sing together as we celebrate what God has done for us. Let's pray together.